Bring it in. Welcome back to the Read Option Podcast. Got a combo. Two of the three. Ain't bad. We got me and Scotty and Vito out on a bachelor party. Excited to get his recap from that. Uh, got Thursdays or Fridays because we're recording Thursdays. Our college football days. So we're locking in on a different conference. Uh, we're going to talk some uh, conference realignment news that's been going on this week. I thought we were kind of through the woods on that, but like even after the, all the Big Ten and USC and UCLA last year, it was kind of like, oh, when's the next shoe that's going to drop? We have another shoe that has dropped, uh, and that is not a joke about Deion Sanders. Um, so I am uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> clever. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I. As soon as I said that, I was like, damn. I got to make sure that I clicked. I genuinely didn't mean that though. That would be a really funny joke. Um, shout out Deion Sanders. I hope he's, he's, uh, his recovery and everything's going okay. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of fun football talk today. Uh, my man, Scotty is here. Uh, how you doing, bud? What's good. I'm ready for some football. Yeah. You're um, too hot. Now we've, we've approached the part of the year where it's too damn hot. And I'm like, all right, I need a 50 degree night where I can open the windows and I know football's coming tomorrow. Well, it's not even the point of the year. It's like this point of ever where this is literally oh, where it, it's like the hottest July ever. It's going to it's like going down as which is uh, which is that's crazy. because we that's because we reignited the read option podcast, Jeff, to talk some football. That's why it's the hottest July ever. I, I understand what you're trying to do, but I really don't want to be blamed for global warming, Scotty. Oh, well, it's, we we had no say in that. Well, that was long you know, before we got here causation versus correlation right you know i don't i don't want to have anything to do with that uh but yeah so we we will have a good good pod today uh i did i saw um i saw oppenheimer last night oh yeah went out haven't seen barbie yet i think we're gonna go do that next week which i also heard was fantastic uh, yeah i heard I my heard brother-in-law did the barbieheimer thing i don't know how you know anyone does that because by all accounts barbie is a much more like emotionally invested movie uh than than people think and people like thought they would watch both because oppenheimer was the heavy one barbie yeah. was the lighthearted, funny one that uh that was just like uh a goofy comedy but yeah um, no apparently yeah there's a little more substance to it yeah. i made i did that move i forget i think it was like summer after my junior year of high school i don't remember exactly when it was um but I went and saw the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises after a swim Is that meet. the one with uh, Antonio Brown in it? Mm, yes. They had the Steelers, Well, I don't know if right? Antonio... No, Heinz, Heinz Ward is... Heinz Ward, yes, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. And okay. Big, ben, Big Ben's in it, too. Um, yes, it, it, was, uh, it was that one. Uh, and then the next morning, I had a friend who wanted to go see it. So I was like, all right, cool, we'll do it. And it was also the same time that Ted had just come out, the first Ted. So me and uh, my, my old buddy, Ryan, uh, we went and saw in the same day we did Dark Knight Rises and Ted back to back. Um, and that's, I think, what people were expecting with the Oppen Barbie or Barbie Heimer or whatever it's called. Um, but I will say, uh, yeah, probably not as as easy of a transition between the two movies. I haven't seen Barbie yet. Um Anyone who can stay in the movie theater for that long, like Dark Knight Rises is a pretty long movie. Often hours like that's that is a journey like you are in there. 
I was even getting a little like stir crazy at one point and and my girlfriend kept checking in on me like are you okay like you're like twitching and I'm like I don't know I'm just like if you it's not it wasn't like one of the theater it was an IMAX theater so it wasn't one of the ones that has like the long like the laid back reclining chairs on it mm-hmm. um but that movie's a, a journey I, do, I I don't want to go on a rant here but I do Uh-oh. feel like the whole Oppen Barbie thing or Barbieheimer I don't even remember what it's called it feels it's so dumb. It's one of those internet things that like when it first came out, everyone's like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. Barbie and Oppenheimer, they're kind of opposites are going to be released on the same day. And then in classic fashion, people just buried it so far deep into the ground, like took what was kind of a funny thing and just smashed it over the head with it over and over and over again to now it's like every time i see something about it i'm like all right yeah we get it like they're they're two different movies and they happen to be released on the same day the joke has passed your your little half outfit that you spent you know a week preparing where you're sewing a pink dress with an old 1950 suit outfit congrats you you wasted a week for a a social media post that got like 200 likes congrats i hope i hope it was worth it you know i hope i hope whatever serotonin boost you got from it and i don't want to like yuck someone else's yum you know i want people to enjoy things but this one was particularly stupid um and particularly just got way over the top like hammered down and overkilled um so i don't know be better i guess people and just kind of grinded my gears um TikTok. But I will say Oppenheimer kicked ass. Very rarely is there a movie where like I have that much anticipation going in, like excited to see. And it absolutely holds up. Um, And I would also recommend anyone who's playing on, because I'm not going to give anything away if you haven't gone and see it, definitely go out and see it. Um, But I will say for anyone who has seen it or is planning on doing it after you watch it, there's this great podcast. Um, that is one of the uh, uh, Ringer podcasts that's called Plain English. It's by this guy, Derek Thompson. He's a writer for, I think, The Atlantic. Um, really, really brilliant, smart, funny, insightful guy. He does, he, the podcast is phenomenal, but he brings on uh, an author who wrote uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning book about Oppenheimer. And, you know, like when you're doing those docu picks and they're like, oh, they changed this or whatever, some people get really annoyed or, I'm pissed off about it. Um, this guy loved it. He thought the movie was like dead on. And he talks a little bit more about the life of, of uh, Oppenheimer, which is really, really fascinating. So uh, if you like the movie as much as I did and you want to learn more about it and you don't feel like going and reading, which is basically me, uh, listen to that podcast because it's really good. Shout out to Plain English. Um, so, yeah, that was that was that's been my week. Oppenheimer. Hope everyone gets a chance to see it. And we're nice. and we're gonna go see Barbie next week. So I'll I'll give my my thoughts on Barbie when we get back. Thanks. Yeah, a little movie <laughs> review pod over here. Yeah, we could be a cinema pod. Yeah, we could be a cinema pod. You know. Yeah, we could. Yeah, you know. We should like but uh, we like, could. No, nah, we'll, we'll we'll create something original, like you know, movies you like to watch again. You know, two of- guys with a microphone. <laughs> uh, all right, let's switch to sports. A um, couple of things to hit off the top. Uh, literally three minutes before we hopped on, um, there was a report out of Bengals camp. Joe Burrow went down with a calf injury. Um, there was oh, a video no. that was attached to it. Didn't look great. The good news is, is that immediately they said calf, so you can rule out knee. If it was a non-contact knee injury, you'd be a lot more concerned. 
Um, it could just be a calf strain, you know, that is possible. And he just hobbled off, but he had, he did have to be carted off the field, uh, which was not, well, uh, to be fair, it's their, their quarterback. No, I get it. But I'm just saying if it's a calf strain and he couldn't put any pressure on it, it, I'm not, look, I'm not speculating. Uh, apparently as we started recording, Zach Taylor had told reporters it's a calf injury, uh, but anything back there is scary because you have the the chance of an Achilles. We always get an injury or two in training camp that like completely fucks up what we think the season's going to look like. And I really, really hope that this is nothing more than just yeah. like a calf strain because Joe yeah. Burrow's one of you're, the most fun biggest players. champion on this podcast. Yeah, sure you fucking are. am, but I sure fucking am. I love that guy. Um, and just football fans love that guy. Like if you love football, you love Joe. Oh, Burrow. Yeah. No Unless doubt. you're a fan yeah. of like a, and even still, I guarantee you every Ravens fan, every bank or Browns fan, every Steelers fan deep down, they all kind of like Joe Burrow. They yeah. hate him. Unless you're, you're, unless you're a gutless sports fan. I mean, in yeah. that case, get out of here. This podcast isn't for you. So stop listening. Um, yeah. But, but well, yeah, no, you have listen. to, you have to want to beat their best, right? Yeah. We always talk about that in, in, in any sport, let alone uh, in the NFL. You want to beat their best. You want Lamar Jackson and, and Joe Burrow going head to head in a meaningful twice, game. Yeah, twice December, a year. Yeah. Right? Twice a year. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's and that was just an example. Any team that that plays them, you want to beat their best. Patrick Mahomes, if you've watched quarterback at all, any every time they 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 showed the loss for uh, and spoiler alerts here, uh, but they show the one of the losses that they that they have against the Bengals. They they show the history of it, and then uh, they're showing showing Mahomes a couple of games before the playoffs uh, start, um, and then they end up winning their first uh, first divisional game. Um, and then the Bengals play the next day in the divisional round and, and somebody asked him at his house. So who do you want to play? And he's like, honestly, I think we, we play better against the bills, but I want the Bengals. I want to go get Joe Burrow. Yeah. Right. That's the mentality that NFL players have. That's a mentality that football fans should have. So seeing him out on is, is never a good thing. Well, that's why they're football players and we're not <laughs> because right, we, but, I mean, we even would all fan, rather have, you should have that. I mean, like let, I'll put it to you this way, Scotty. If you could be like, hey, would you go back and play the NFC Championship game again, but with a healthy Brock Purdy? Would you rather have happened what happened in terms of like what it means for the Eagles? I don't want. I'm I'm sad that Brock Purdy yes, got hurt. I do. But in terms of the the, I know you do. I'm talking about me yeah. as the team that ended up winning the game. The path of least oh, well, resistance. Yeah. <laughs> the path of <laughs> for sure. least resistance for the Eagles. I'm like, hey, I'll I'll take that win. I'll take an easy win. I mean, like block Hassan Reddick, and it's not a problem, you know. Um, obviously, it sucked, oh, and and I, and uh, I wasn't do, even hand like Hamlin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I do feel bad for for Niners fans and for you, Scotty, because that did suck. Um, for you, for me, it was great. For me, it was right, awesome yeah. having my team get to the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, uh, best wishes, and then hope. You know, I guess by the time this airs, you know, we might have more information. I'm sure they're going to run tests on it. The fact that they're really like harping in and like Zach Taylor already talked to reporters calling it a calf injury makes me optimistic. Uh, and so we're going to hope that that ends up continuing to be the case. Uh, the other thing I wanted to add here before we get into some of the more uh, relevant news to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, by the time the podcast posted on Tuesday, the scary situation with uh, Bronny James had happened um, we had already finished recording, so um, we didn't have a chance to comment on it. I didn't want people to think like we didn't, you know, obviously it was a huge story. It was one of the biggest news stories 
of the day. Um, so I want to make sure that we at least acknowledge your obviously thoughts and prayers and how fucking terrifying that was, especially after everything that happened with Damar, uh, Damar Hamlin back in uh, November last year, I think it was November, December. Um, it's terrifying. And to see it happen to like a kid who's in insane shape and is, you know, going to, he was a three-star, I think three or four-star recruit. He's going to USC this year. Um, that's just really scary. So uh, thoughts and prayers uh, up to Bronny James seems like good news so far. Um, and he's, he's stable currently and continuing to get stronger. Um, and honestly, just like we said with tomorrow, like, Sports are like the last thing that matters. Like who gives a shit if the kid's going to play basketball this year or ever again, you know, it's like so much more about, let's just make sure he's, you know, he's healthy and you know, he's, he's doing okay. Um, for sure. And, and yeah. for LeBron James's father as the basketball player, like one of his dreams was to be able to play on the same court in the NBA with his son, which was a year away from getting realized and now probably pushed back a little bit, maybe. Um, I mean, hopefully I, if he I can don't get think back on the court. I, he wasn't even going to start for USC. I don't think there was a chance he was going to end up going to the NBA this year. Um, there's a non-zero, like basically 0% chance he would have gone to the NBA this year uh, after his first year. So, um, I mean, look, crazier things have happened. He's a good, but he's a really good player. Like everything I've heard about him um, and some of the recruiting guys that I follow all like, yeah, he's a really good player, really good defense player. He can shoot a little bit. He's a little undersized his like ceiling would be like a Davion Mitchell type where he goes and develops for like four years and then, you know, finds his way in the NBA, at, like 24, 25 or 23 ish. Uh, I guess it'd be more like 22, 23, either way. Uh, he, I think his path is more that way, which is definitely plausible, but he's, yeah, he's got some developing he needs to do physically before that's going to happen. Um, and more importantly, and, and I'm sure LeBron would just like anybody would say, um, as the father, yeah, <laughs> as the father, like the most important thing here is that he's alive right now um, and mm-hmm. hopefully getting better. So uh, shout out to Brown and James. Hope he's, uh, hope he's new. also fucking like this and try to make it political or try to make it about the vaccine or try to make it about some other sh- like just shut the fuck up. Just one. It, there's an 18 year old kid who is sick and just just please just shut the fuck up. No one cares about your opinion in this situation. You're a loser. You have no, like you have no information. Shut the fuck up. That's all I got on that part. Uh, all right, let's move on to some of the stuff we want to talk about today. And it timed out well that we picked the big 12 to talk about today. Cause part of what we were going to talk about leading in is the fact that there are four new teams in the big 12. There are four new power five teams that are going to be uh, joining uh, the ranks of the big boys up in the power five this year, Houston, BYU, UCF, and Cincinnati. Uh, and with that, there will be a new team joining the big 12 starting next season. And that is Colorado. Uh, the bit uh, the PAC 12 is in absolute shambles right now. It is, I should say <laughs> very quickly deteriorating and looking more and more like we're going to be down to like for a power four within the next couple of years. Uh, you look at some of the schools left in the Pac-12, like the Big 12 could easily add more and they'd have, they'd be halfway to a super Utah, conference. Would, yeah. You know, yeah, Utah, Arizona State, Arizona, and um, oh, there's one more Southern one that uh, I'm missing that I, I that would have gone there. Um, oh, in Colorado, duh. And then you'd have uh, Stanford, Oregon, Cal. Washington, and Cal join the Big 10. 
And then I don't know what you do with Oregon and Washington state. It feels like they probably could be left out. I mean, they could also get an invite to the big 10 too, just to kind of make the numbers work out. Cause I think at that point, the big 10 uh, numbers wise would be closer to what the uh, big 12 will look like with all these new teams. Um, but yeah, Colorado moving on to the, uh, back, the back big to 12 the big, back yeah. to the, that's true, which honestly it was kind of weird when they left. They never really felt at home in the pac 12, uh, but Deion Sanders and the, uh, the buffs are going back to the big 12. And it's interesting because I was saying this a little bit to you, Scotty, before we started the pod today, this is kind of the first litmus test to figure out what, like, cause we've been talking about conference realignment. It's been almost two and a half, three years, really, since a lot of this stuff started to happen. Um, and now with conference realignment, we're going to see it kind of put into action, right? Like it was talk, it was, theory for a long time it was a lot of hypotheticals and now we're going to kind of see what this adjustment is and for a team like BYU like a program like that I I think they're going to be okay because they typically play more power fives per year than you know Cincinnati or UCF and Houston who are all great programs but I'm very curious to see what this transition is going to look like um you know what the first time Houston has to play you know, Texas. Right. And uh, we're going to have a mm-hmm. Texas bowl of sorts in the big 12, at least for this year. I would agree uh, with you, I think. And I think it's interesting too to note that all four of the newcomers have head coaches, new head coaches uh, in three of the cases uh, that have power five experience. Gus yeah. Malzahn at UCF, uh, Kalena Sataki at BYU. Uh, who am I missing? Scott Patterson at Cincinnati. And then Scott, uh, Satter- Dana Holgerson. Scott, Scott Satterfield. Satterfield. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then and Dana Holgerson at Houston. So uh, all of those guys have have power five experience. It'll be interesting to see how uh, they can in a year of transition coach up their teams enough to uh, to be competitive, I think, because that's the goal for for these four teams. I don't think any of them are going in saying, hey, we don't have a, a shot. We're just here to <laughs> to be happy at, at the dance. Um, I, I think that that you're, you're right. I think BYU with the, the way that they play. Uh, the way that they've scheduled in, in past years as an independent is most equipped to handle the rigor of it. But I think talent-wise, UCF is the team that I would look to as, as the one that can, can maybe surprise some folks and, and run the table uh, or, or make, make a shot at the, at the, at the yeah. top there. It, it does kind of feel like a golf tournament, like in the Masters, and you're like, who's going to be the low am? You know, it's kind of how mm. it feels like who's going to be – the best team out of these four who joined the pac 12 this year or the big 12 this year, you know, it's kind of given off the same vibes. And for this, for the same record, like I, I don't have a ton of faith that Colorado is going to come in and be able to hang with the likes of some of these programs either. But as we've learned from the big 12 over the last couple of years, it's constant chaos, right? It's always yep. like my, it's arguably my favorite conference to watch only because week in and week out, like, any team can beat any team, especially now with Lance Leipold at, at Kansas, the job he's done turning them around. Matt Campbell, I mean, Iowa State went from being like the lowly Iowa State for how many years to, you know, oh my God, they might make the college football playoff to then being a consistent yeah, with top my quarterback. 10. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, with a top <laughs> 10 team consistently for a few years. And then last year they fall back, they're four and eight on the regular season. You know, Matt Campbell was getting NFL looks just a couple of years ago. Right. And now we're talking about, well, Matt Campbell might be towards the bottom of, of, you know, and Iowa State might be towards the bottom. It's like, 
I guarantee you a Matt Campbell-led team is still going to go out there and, and play really well. You know, they're going to fight. They're going to knock off a Baylor or a Oklahoma. They're going to do that at least once a year. And that's kind of the fun of Big 12 football. It's just constant chaos. Uh, and obviously last year, I mean, TCU makes it all the way to the national championship game. So you can't say that they can't go out and win games at the highest level because they can. Now, I don't expect TCU to continue that stretch, especially after losing uh, was it, is it Garrett Riley, right? Lincoln Riley's uh, brother, who is a Correct. really, you know, who kind of designed that whole offense. So be curious to see what Sonny Dykes and, and, you know, that whole team ends up doing. They lose Max Duggan, they lose their offensive coordinator. Obviously, they're still going to run similar system. And I think Sonny Dykes has always been known for putting up these really, really impressive offensive type seasons from, uh, from his teams in the past. So, there's a lot to like about this conference. I don't know if any of the four teams joining really have much of a chance. But then again, you know, I look at, and obviously it's group of five is different, but I look at a team like JMU last year, right? I mean, nobody thought jumping from the FCS that JMU would just be able to easily transition into the Sun Belt. And they did, you know, and Todd Santeo and, you know, they, they, not only, you know, Kurt Signetti, they not only adjusted, but they got up to the top 25. You know, they, they beat Appalachian State in one of the best college football games last year. You know, they they've gone, went up against teams like Louisville and Power 5 teams and hang and, and hung. So who's to say that a UCF, right, with Gus Malzahn, who's competed yeah. and won a national championship at an SEC school, can't take a team there. Um, BYU is is – trying to think of a good comp for them because it, they're kind of like just a smaller Notre Dame and that like Notre Dame seems to have a really, really good team, like once every three years. Right. And it's usually dependent on who's playing quarterback for them. You know, mm-hmm. if, you know, they had Ian book as, as a three, four year, I think it was like a three year starter by that last year. Like that team was really good, you know, and now they have Sam Hartman and now it'll be interesting to see BYU's kind of the same way. Like when, when Zach Wilson was there, they flirted. I think they were up near the top 10, at one point um, when Zach yep. Wilson was there. And now they're going to get a chance to kind of show what they can do hanging with the big boys week in and week out. Now they play more power five teams regularly or had played more power five teams regularly than be than uh, UCF or Houston or Cincinnati. So I think they're going to be a little bit more ready for it. Their offensive line is always a little bit better. Uh, but for them, it ultimately comes down to what's going on at the quarterback position. They have a guy who's won at the power five level with Keaton Slovis. So I think if I was going to pick a school out of the top four, the new four that are coming in, the the low amateur of the big 12, I think it's going to be BYU. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Cincinnati might, uh, might be frisky a little bit, a uh, little chip on the shoulder there uh, for them too. Um, but, you know, we talked, the other one I talked about is, is, is UC. I don't know what we're going to get out of Houston. I mean, they were so good in 2021. Uh, and then last year, like it seemed like everything fell apart uh, in Dana Hogerson's system. Who was so, that quarterback that they had? The one who transferred to Miami? Uh, I feel like his name sounded like an instrument. Oh, that's going to, I'll get Zach Parker <laughs> while you finish your Zach thought, Parker's but. on it. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea what we're going to get out of Houston this year, um, and they could be they could be weird in the conference. Uh, but UCF, like as talented as that team is, as well coached as it is too, I think John Reese Plumley, I think 
uh, is a really talented quarterback. That's a guy you want when you're transitioning into a big conference like this. Uh, Gus Malzahn is the kind of coaching you want when you're transitioning to a, a power five conference like they are, but their schedule is nuts, man. Like at the beginning of the year, they have to fly from Orlando to Boise and back. Right. Then they got to go out to Manhattan, Kansas and back Then they have a home game uh, or two home games. And then they got to go fly back out to, to Kansas uh, to go play at university of Kansas. It's nuts. Like how much back and forth there is. And this is part of the, the problem with realignment is like, uh, and we're probably talk about this next year um, or even this year when we talk about the, the big 10 is like now road games for, for a team like on the, especially on the Eastern side uh, where Ohio state, uh, Penn state, Maryland, are going to have to take cross country trips to go to LA for road games. Like this is the kind of thing that wears down a team. And if you can survive it, great. Um, because not only are you traveling that far, you got to take the, the beating uh, yeah. from, from these guys. And then, travel that far back and forth across the country. So um, I think that's going to be the hard part of the transition for UCF is not only uh, not only the, the talent level that's elevated, but the schedule where they have to fly a lot. And if they can take the blows from, from the bigger guys in the, in the big 12, that uh, that can body them up a little bit uh, on, on, especially on like some of these lines, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. Well, and I also think it's worth noting too, that this is where the, conference realignment stuff kind of starts to come into play, right? Because in, in the big, well, in conference realignment as a whole, and part of these theories and part of the, what is it going to do to college football? How's it going to look? We've become so desensitized to the NFL, you know, Oh, you got to go travel. You know, Seattle's got to come all the way out to play the giants. You know, they're going to be a little jet lagged on the, you know, and ultimately it always gets overblown. Right. It's like one team a year max gets really affected by a really bad thing. And for, but for the most part, like they're sleeping well, they're in nice hotels, they're getting taken care of. They know how to do it. They have trainers that are helping them out. Like they're set. This in college football, I think is going to look a lot different. Mm -hmm. Right. Because these are kids who are going to class. These are kids who are not given the same amenities that NFL players are the travel and the impact of the travel, I think is going to take a greater toll on college kids where now you will have people going from Provo to Orlando on a, you know, semi-regular basis, or just if you are UCF, think about that. Every road game, the closest road game for UCF, I'm pretty sure would be West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe Lubbock, Texas Tech might be closer because you just hop over the Gulf of Mexico. But no, well, Lubbock's on the w- northwest side of Texas. It would be Austin that's a- closer than that. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I always thought that Lubbock was on the east side of Texas. No. So then, yeah, it, it might be. It might be Tech. Like it, it, it's probably West Virginia, and then Austin's probably a close second. But either way, you're looking at like the shortest flight at being at like two and a half hours. You know, like that, that yeah. was huge. That's why JMU waited for the Sun Belt because once they jumped in, it's like, all right, for the most part, we can drive to pretty much every team in the Sun Belt. We can take the, the big bus or whatever. Um, and that works easier for a, you know, a group of five team who doesn't have the same amount of financial resources as a power five team. But for these schools that are jumping up, I think it's going to cause a lot of effects. And I think it's not, it's not just the new teams. I think it's going to be, you know, when, when Texas Tech has to fly out to Lubbock. 
or has to fly out to Provo and play BYU, right? Or when they have to go up to Cincinnati, right? Like, th- yeah. I think these are going to be pretty substantial. I think there's going to be a substantial effect, but we don't know, not, right? We also don't know. I think it's not just, and I know we're talking Big 12 football here, but it's not just football you have to consider when you do these realignments, right? It's every sport is going to have to do this. So now, like, figure like a, a swim meet, they're going to have to spend two weeks out in, in, in Orlando or wherever they're going. Yeah, uh, or Austin um, baseball, same thing. Like you do your big road trip to the East coast. You're going to spend two weeks on the East coast playing uh, UCF and West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, if you're, if you're Texas, right. While still trying to be students. Yeah. You know, and, and look, it's, it's not like you're going to every single one of these places, right. You're going to have six road games a year. You know, probably at least one of them is going to be out of conference. So we're probably talking about like four to five games a year. You're going to have to fly somewhere. And again, if you're Oklahoma and Oklahoma state, they're going to play well, not for at least for this year, Um, but even Kansas state to Oklahoma state, right. That's going to be pretty quick. Um, Houston to uh, even, you know, Oklahoma state, all that's going to be at least within somewhat respectable driving distance. But I feel like we noticed it even just with West Virginia, you know, Oklahoma state goes to Charleston to go play. Uh, or Charlestown to go play West Virginia. Like that's a long fucking trip, but now you're going to get probably three or four of those a year. And I don't know, it it may have no effect whatsoever. And this could just be a, you know, an old man type take. I'm just genuinely curious because I, I don't know if it's going to have, I just don't know if we know. And I guess maybe I'm leaning more towards the side of, I think it is going to affect things. I think it is going to affect teams, but at the same time, it may not. Same time, you know, especially teams and schools with big endowments who can maybe even try to fly private. I don't know what you do, man, when you're sending a team. Yeah, well-endowed schools, yeah. When you're trying to send 70-plus kids plus coaching staff plus athletic training plus everything else, it's just going to be a lot. Across 20 varsity sports, yeah, it is a lot. Yeah, basketball is going to be even crazier because you basketball teams will have to go on the road for every single one of these games at least once. Yeah, you know, think about Cincinnati. Cincinnati's closest game is going to be West Virginia, and other than that, they're looking at like four plus hours everywhere else they go. But this is all stuff that hey, that 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 check that comes in the mail from the uh, you know the TV revenue, getting that slice, yeah. that's going to be pretty good. I think I saw um, when Colorado joins next year, they're immediately going to get the, I think it's thirty million dollars or whatever from their their TV thing from uh, oh. the TV contract from the Big Twelve, which is great. Which is great, Welcome. and and I will say too, whenever the big Big 12's next uh, TV contract comes up, it's gonna be a lot of money because they're in a lot of different mar- they're in a lot of different markets now. Well, that's something we've talked about too: is adding new teams to your conference during realignment. Like, if you add teams from new states, right? It's the uh, it's the reason the Big Ten isn't incentivized to add Notre Dame because we already yeah. have presence in Indiana, right? But if you go out and add a team from now, they still want Notre Dame. Just like that. Yeah. Even even with Indiana doesn't want that. But just like Texas Tech doesn't want to have Houston in the same, you know, in the same thing. But no, they they want that. Right. It's the other example we used when we talked about it is is Texas A&M when they moved to uh, Missouri, when they moved to the SEC. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. That money was was big time uh, for, for them. And, and, and Texas A&M the, was vehemently against Texas coming to the SEC. 
They didn't yeah. want Texas in the SEC, not at all. Uh, by the way, that quarterback was De'Eric King. Ah, De'Eric King, yeah. Who was the Houston uh, quarterback that ended up getting drafted last year? Or this year, rather. I don't know. Anyway, not important. Yeah, not important. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just they, – they're kind of going to be like the, the, the test – sample here right they're going to be the the low or low man on the totem pole we're going to send out the big 12 we're going to see how this all kind of functions um in addition to it being weird for like fans who are not used to seeing oklahoma state play byu or whatever like the uniform matchups alone are going to look a little funky within the first year and it'll be even weirder next year when we have the you know usc and ucla going up to you know northwestern and wisconsin like all that stuff's going to be really, really. I don't like it. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be very weird. I'm very curious to see what the actual like if there is any sort of impact from hey having all of these new teams in here while you still have Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve as well. What what it's going to look like? Um, all right. So what would be so what do you, you're going with UCF? That's going to be your low amateur of the year for uh, for the Big Twelve. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll pick them. I think they got enough talent. Uh, let's do. Uh, was- let's move. Let's move on to the top part of the Big 12 because um, this is going to be Texas and Oklahoma's last season in the Big 12. You would imagine they would both like to have really good years so they can bolster as much of a recruiting class as possible before joining yeah. the SEC. Now, look, Oklahoma <laughs> and Texas always do well in recruiting, um, but the pressure's on a little bit now for Steve Sarkeesian going into year number three. Uh, and Brent Venables, year number one, did not go great for him at Oklahoma. It didn't go bad. Took a little, took a little bit for him to kind of get his legs underneath him. But then once he did, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. And um, I would say probably, and probably not even probably, but the best quarterback I think going into the Big Twelve this year is Quinn Ewers, uh, who is playing at Texas. For me, just like we did with the ACC last week, the four there's four teams that I'm really kind of considering here for. Uh, like the top tier, but that middle tier is so muddied that like any of those middle tier teams could end up being in the big 12 championship. And I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. But the four clear cut, I think programs for 2023, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas state, and TCU. Um, I think sneaky, the team that I'm highest, I wouldn't say highest. Well, save on. it, save it, save it. All right. We'll, all we'll right. talk about the four first and then we'll, we can do that. Well, no, that's it, that? it's it's in the it's in the four. That's what I'm saying. Oh, of really? those four teams, the ones that I think I'm sneaky the highest on is Kansas State. Oh. Uh, there's one maybe two that I'm sneaky high on that are not in that four. Oh yeah. I mean, there that's the the beauty of the Big 12 is it's just an absolute shit show every single year and it's so much fun to uh to kind of roll through. Um, but I am, I'm a fan of, I've always been a fan of Chris Kleiman. He was the head coach at North Dakota state. Um, he took af- uh, took over after Craig bowl, who at, I believe is still at Wyoming or he was at Wyoming. Um, but I, I, I love Chris Kleiman because he knows how to build football teams in the correct way, which is always from the interior on the way out. Even within his first year at, at Kansas State, you could see a difference in the way that the offensive and defensive lines played, and they've continued to get better and have continued to excel uh, in terms of the recruiting aspect of it. So they're, they're getting bigger guys in there. Uh, it also helps to have 
one of the biggest and most athletically gifted quarterbacks in the country in Will Howard, um, who is likely to be the starting quarterback this year, six foot five, two forty two. Uh, he only ended up playing seven games last year um, because he's, he's got NFL talent, though. Yeah, he does, because he was the backup. This is the dude who think Carson Wentz at North Dakota State. Right. That's what this team's going to want to look like. They're going to want to punch you in the mouth with their offensive and defensive lines. They want to have a stud physical quarterback with a lot of big time gifts. who was really, really good last year when he started uh, through for 1600 yards, 15 touchdowns and seven games. So the dude can can flat out play or thrown for more than 200 yards a game, two touchdowns a game. Uh, I'm excited to see what this offense looks like. Uh, because it feels like when you have coaches who've been there, I think this is year number four for Chris Kleiman, number four, number five, you're at the point now where it's like they're one of those schools that hits that perfect recruiting cycle where they have the young, talented quarterback who's played a little bit. Uh, and I and think it's they, their guys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all their guys that they've been. I feel like this is kind of now like this is the time, right? Like this is the time if Chris Kleiman's going to have a team that's going to pop up, make some noise. I feel like it's this year in 2023. Dude, I, I can't agree more. Um, I, I love this team. It's it, we, we were so high on that basketball team, man. What a run they had. Uh, and this football team reminds me a lot of that with the, with its star power. Uh, they, they get, I, like I said, will, will Howard NFL talent. Can he play to, to that level in, in college is one of the big questions I have. Um, they lose their running back Deuce Vaughn on offense, but all they did Huge was go loss. and replace him with, with, uh, with uh, Treshawn Ward, who was he transferred from Florida State, he was sitting behind Trey Benson, who's who we talked about last week, is probably going to be one of the best running backs in in the in all of NCAA two A football this year. Mm-hmm. So Treshawn Ward comes over from Florida State, he's the running back, um, and this O line, I, I can't speak enough about. They are the best, probably probably the best, if not, uh, if you disagree, I think the second best O line in the in the country, um, it, for sure in the conference. Uh, all five starters returning, four of them are seniors. Uh, 300, I, I wrote this down, 3,941 total returning snaps out of that group, an average snap count across the season of 788. That's a lot of experience that you're bringing back. These guys know how to maul. They're great in the run game. They're stellar in pass protection. They allow just 10 sacks, eight hits all of last season, only six hurries allowed per game. And they're anchored by their... Their center, probably one of the underrated guys uh, among offensive linemen in uh, in all of FBS, and Cooper Beebe, who, for my money, is is one of the best centers in all of college football. Uh, he's got an 89 uh, PFF grade in pass blocking, 80 PFF grade in run blocking. He's one of only two centers who didn't allow a sack or a hit last year. Uh, the dude's stellar, and, and that's who's anchoring this offensive line. That's that's full of seniors. Uh, I, I think they're going to have a, a really good. A really good time running the ball. Uh, they're they're going to block well enough to to let Will Howard do his thing, uh, with, which he can do both with his arm and with his legs. Uh, I, I, this offense is is set uh, to me. I, I think they're going to be really good. And it's important too. Last year they made kind of a risky move, right? Hiring uh, a young Colin Klein, who was a Kansas State favorite, an all time K State quarterback, to come in, and they elevated him from QB coach to offensive coordinator. And he did really, really well. I mean, this it's weird to think because I think they finished at what, like nine and four 
in total on the end of the regular season. Correct. Um, and then they end up winning the, the conference championship. They won this game. conference championship. Yeah. So I think yeah. including the conference championship, they went nine and four. I don't know what they did in their bowl game, um, but still nine wins and winning your conference is a big deal. So I know I said like this team needs to, you know, this is kind of the time to make a splash. Obviously they, they won their division or they won their conference. But like, if you're good enough to win a conference and you're also bringing back a quarterback, you have your head coach, you have the same offensive coordinator who, if they have another good offensive season, you'd imagine Colin Klein's going to be looking at bigger programs though. He does seem like the kind of guy who might just stay at Kansas state until, you know, he gets an opportunity to be the head coach there. But this is a guy who like is, is starting to make a name for himself as an offensive coordinator. You have an experienced, really, really talented offensive line, despite losing guys, um, Replacing Deuce Vaughn is going to be tough, but you're absolutely right. DJ Giddens is going to be a really, really good. Uh, he, you know, he's been there for a couple of years. Trayshawn Ward, as you were talking about, they have a chance to be one of the best backfields, uh, definitely in the Big Twelve, but like you said, across the country. Um, defensive line should continue to be really, really good. Um, they also have probably the best linebacker room outside of the SEC. Uh, they bring back super senior Daniel Green, uh, who has 219 career tackles for Kansas State. Uh, and their leading tackler last year, Austin Moore, is also back. So they're bringing back two linebackers. Linebacking play in college does seem to matter a lot. Um, the one place where this defense could struggle, because I think their D-line is going to be good, is the secondary. Um, they only have one returning member of their secondary it's going to be an open competition. Um, they do have a transfer from North Dakota State coming in, who, again, makes sense with the Chris Climbing connection. But that's going to be tough. And you're playing in a, in a conference where, like, if they're in a conference championship game against Texas and you have Quinn Ewers on the other side dropping dart, darts all across the field, like, you might be able to stop the run. You might be able to generate some pressure. But this D-line has to play really, really well to yeah. alleviate a lot of the stress that you're going to see in the back end. Yeah, and get at the quarterback. I'm with you. It's it's I, I, that's the one concern I have is is on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the the trouble with being a, a good coach, building a good program, is that you lose quality guys like your your best pass rusher last year, Felix Anaduke Uzama, who got drafted in the first round, yeah. and Prince, who got drafted in the second round, a cornerback, and, and Josh Hayes, the DB, who got drafted in the sixth round. Like those are the kind of the the pieces of attrition that. Uh, that happen when you're when you're a really good coach building a really good program, but uh, I think they have enough depth there. They 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 rated the transfer portal a little bit for for some of that depth, and I think they'll be okay uh, and, and really solid on defense. I don't think they're they're going to they might lose a half a step, but I think uh, you know they they won't be too worse for the wear there compared to to other uh, teams in the conference uh, yeah. on that side of the ball. And I think in general, a good rule of thumb and something I always try to remind myself as we do this, getting ready for college football, uh, especially when you're looking at like season over unders, win totals, you know, projections for who you, you know, putting bets on who's going to win the Big 12 for whatever conference you're betting on. Teams with returning head coaches and quarterbacks typically do pretty well. They also tend to do very well when they have a really good offensive line in front of them, Right. When Josh Allen was at yeah. Wyoming with Craig Bull and they had an offensive line and some weapons his junior year and he went out and balled out and everyone's like, oh my God, look at this Josh Allen kid. 
And then the next year, all of his offensive line, and that happens, you know, in, in mid-level programs and group of five programs, right? Like it's harder to replace talent. Uh, Kansas State, I think, has a recipe. If the defensive line is as good as I think it can be, uh, and we know that, you know, the Big 12, though it's gotten better, the offensive line talent here is not what you're going to see at in the SEC or the Big 10. So if you have good pass rushers, that will help your secondary a lot. The one thing I think about this team is I think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points. So I'm really excited about Chris Kleiman uh, and Kansas State. They definitely have a little bit of a target on their back after winning it, but they kind of don't because even though they won the Big 12, no one really talks about them like that, right? Because all the attention kind of went to TCU, and then you have all these new teams yeah. that are joining, and it's Texas and Oklahoma's last year in the Big 12. It's like in terms of teams that like are getting watched and recognized preseason, they're kind of like eighth in the big 12, you have TCU, you have the two leaving schools and then you have the four new schools and then you have Kansas state. And then, so like, they're kind of in like a sleeper spot where even though they won the big 12 last year, they're not getting the kind of respect uh, because a they're Kansas state and not a lot of people talk about Manhattan, Kansas. Um, But I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be good. I really do. Yeah, I do. I do too. And I think that's kind of the way that Chris Kleiman will want to play that. Right, similar to Sonny Dykes, after he's in a national championship game, nobody's talking about them uh, yeah. in in the national consciousness uh, in this off season. I think that's kind of the way they want it, right? They're just building and building, and then quietly, like all of a sudden, week nine, week ten rolls along, and they're uh, nine and one or ten and zero, oh, and we're going like, yeah. oh shit, like here come the well, Wildcats. And I'll be curious, we'll, and we'll talk about TCU in a second. Um, all right, I mean, we can talk about them now because I think we're, we're ready well, to move yeah. on to our next team. Well, we're we doing I, win totals. Uh. What yeah yeah what is the over under for them by the way? Yeah, over oh, under right. on win totals. I've got them at uh, at uh, seven and a half. And seven you can and get a half the, uh, for you get the over State? at minus one eighty and the under at plus one forty five. I'm hammering the over for on Kansas this, my friend. State. Yeah, yeah. The the reigning conference champion has an over under win total of seven and a half. Um, their schedule is is rough. They, they open the conference with UCF. That might get a little weird uh, just because I think UCF is a team that, like I said, in the in the open, they, they probably have something to prove. But then they go at Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, uh, in back-to-back weeks to open in October. They play TCU a week after that. And then at, Baylor, or at Texas, uh, Baylor at home, and at Kansas and Iowa State in November. Um, I just think their offense is too good, and their defense is good enough to keep them in games. Their offense – is even better than that, that if they get in some of these these close games that the Big 12 is known for, and I think there'll be a lot of that this year again, uh, that their offense can can hang with uh, with any team in the conference. Uh, I got them a 10 and 2. I don't see why or how this is. I, I can't believe they're over-unders at 7.5. I mean, Southeast Missouri, Troy, and then Missouri. Who, so like, it could get weird. Troy does get weird. That is true. I, but you expect Kansas State to win that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, like, Missouri, if you're playing an SEC team and you get Missouri, like, that out-of-conference schedule is very favorable. And then you're getting two out of the three new schools, yeah, two out of the four new schools in UCF and Houston. So that right there seems like five wins to me. And then you look at Oklahoma State, I don't think they're in a position to be very good this year. That somehow, yeah. some way, Spencer Sanders is still there. 
Um, Texas Tech, Texas Tech is one of those like kind of middle tier teams. Uh, TCU is always going to be tough. You have at Texas, um, but you get Baylor, who they you know they played, they always play well. Kansas, which should be winnable, and Iowa State seven and a half seems really low to me. Uh, I would definitely, definitely hammer the over on that. Um, all right, now let's let's you. now let's go over to TCU because we started talking about them. Um, I like Sonny Dykes a lot, and I we talked about it a little bit like that offense is still going to be good even without uh, Max Duggan. But there's a lot to replace there, and it's not just Max Duggan. You know, you you lost basically the entire skill position group. Um, and yeah, you lost all three. You lost their lead receiver Quentin Johnson and their mm-hmm. and their lead back in Kendra Miller. They did get. Former five-star and Alabama transfer Trey Sanders, which is helpful. Um, but, man, the big question for me is, can they have a quarterback that can step in and play well enough? Because you're not going to be as good as Max Duggan, who finished, what, second in the Heisman last year? Like, you're just you're not going to get a Heisman-type guy. The offensive well, keep, line... Keep in mind, the guy who's going to start is Chandler Morris, who was the guy who Max Duggan replaced uh, as the starter uh, after camp. And and so I I think the bigger loss is, is what we talked about in the ACC preview is Garrett Riley, not calling plays in that offense anymore. Well, I see, I'm not as worried about that because I trust Sonny Dykes. You know, Sonny Dykes is a good enough coach and and has been an elite level play caller at the college football level. Him bringing in Garrett Riley basically just gives him another brain to pick for, you know, a year plus. Fair right? enough. And, and they're going to take look, that offense and they're going to continue to apply it to what they have, you know, going on. Like whoever, whoever's playing in the skill position, whoever's in the backfield, they're just going to run out and basically run a similar version of, of the same well, offense as we saw a year well, ago. And the, and the bigger part too, is that they absolutely rated the transfer portal on offense, especially yes. the wide receiver. You talked about, uh, you talked about the running back coming in, Trey Sanders, the former five star out of Alabama. They've got like five, six new, or, yeah, six new receivers on it. More than that, JP Richardson coming from Oklahoma State, and it's talent, like huge talent. These guys got recruited to big time schools. Uh, transferred from Oklahoma State, JoJo Earl, who's a slot at Alabama, they're going to start. And then they added depth all across the wide receivers on the outside to help replace Quentin Johnson. Um, talking I, I, like out of Texas A and M, Minnesota, Arkansas, uh, uh, <laughs> Ole Miss, uh, LSU guys that that are coming over here to to replace. Uh, and help out on the outside with that wide receiver depth. That yeah. that talent is is going to be really good. And then on top of all of that, they have a six or seven game runway uh, at the beginning of the year where they open up with uh, Colorado, Nickel State, Houston, SMU, West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU before they hit Kansas State in late October. So that's a pretty long runway to get all of this uh, these moving parts and new pieces acclimated with each other. It is. Um... But it's still, I mean, who? So they have SMU. Well, the Sunny Dykes Bowl, that'll be fun. His old, That's his old team coming in to play TCU. Um, to me, like, I Chandler Morris again got eventually originally had the starting job, gets a little banged up in their opener. Max Duggan comes in, and then Max Duggan goes on to pretend almost win the freaking Heisman, which is one of the craziest things that we don't talk game. about as much, right? Yeah. Um, but I have no idea if Chandler Morris is going to be any good. Now you would say, Hey, a year sitting behind 
you know, a Max Duggan and a year with Garrett Riley, and you just assume he's going to be better than what he was last year. Because uh, I think he was a redshirt freshman last year. So it's a few years, too, and he's you know, going into year number two with Sonny Dykes. I have a hard time believing he's going to live up to the, you know, to the hype that Max Duggan set up. But again, very few players in college football will. There's literally two guys who can finish in the top two in the Heisman voting. I'm also concerned, in addition to like they went out and sniped the, the transfer portal, they brought in a bunch of new skill guys who, if you kind of look like teams like Tennessee and Josh Heupel, like it's a lot of not plug and play necessarily, but if you get really good athletes, the schemes, they're going to find guys that are open. Yeah, Jalen uh, Hyatt's a great example of that. Yeah, it, exactly. Exactly. They lost three of their starting five offensive linemen last year from yeah, last year. That's and their, their offensive line wasn't like Georgia or Michigan, but they were good, man. Like they were good. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of it is easier because so much of that system allowed for freedom of the quarterback to make decisions to run and pull the ball. I don't know if Chandler Morris has the ability to run the ball the way that Max Duggan did. Again, there aren't a lot of quarterbacks who are willing to do that. But if he is at least somewhat of a threat running the football, then that might make the transition easier. But I'm assuming we're going to see more pocket passes out of TCU's offense this year than we did last year. And let's not forget either, their defense was shit last year. The defense ranked 95th in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go back to the offensive line for, for a second too, because I, I I'm with you. It's a huge concern. Um, they, they returned three of their five starters from last season, both their tackle, both tackles uh, in their center. Uh, but they lack depth just about everywhere along the line. Um, it, it's, it's abysmal. If you look at the depth chart, man, like two only like two of the spots only go too deep uh, on their offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and the three re- returning starters played almost exclusively at their position uh, in the depth chart. So they're not going to move around uh, on the line and plug some holes that, uh, that they clearly have. And what depth there was last year played a grand total of six snaps across, <laughs> across the total of them. One of whom is going to be a starter this year um, as a junior. So uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a not a great situation on that line. And I think you're right I, with Chandler. I think they're going to have to force, uh, more pocket passing um, because otherwise he's going to be scrambling for his life. It's going to look a lot like Daniel Jones in the first couple of years in, uh, in New York. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, so, so that's a huge concern. Uh, one of their big holes uh, and then defense, you touched on it. Uh, they lost some pieces on, on just about every level. Uh, luckily they were deep enough uh, last year to, to sort of uh, to revamp uh, some of that talent. Uh, but they also got five transfers out of the portal. Uh, they got a cornerback, Avery Hamlin, out of out of Florida, who is Florida's produced some pretty solid DBs over the last couple of years, I'd say. Uh, and uh, and Joe Gillespie returning as their DC is huge uh, as well. Uh, you know, he runs at three three five, which is it's so hard to read uh, yeah. at, at any given time. So uh, if he's got the guys who have another year of experience under their belt, like I said, uh, it's going to look a lot like uh, like what we talked about last week with Clemson's uh, Clemson secondary in particular, um, but. But yeah, it's 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 going to be tough sledding on on a defense that wasn't wasn't stellar last year. I mean, they were solid, they were good, they kept themselves in games. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> look at what look at what happened against Georgia. Like, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, is like they they have no experience on the defensive line. Like they're kind of banking on having a young guy kind of emerge out of nowhere to be like a stud defensive end, a stud edge, edge rusher, a run stuffer in the middle because they don't have that. You know, this defense was already bad last year and they lost a lot of pieces. They're not going to be able to outscore every single team like they were last year. I think their win total. I, I don't know what what is their over under for their win total. Uh, seven and a half again. Uh, there's you're going to find a lot of this in the Big Twelve. Uh, yeah. Seven and a half. Uh, you can get the over at minus one forty four, uh, and the under at plus one eighteen. That's thanks to our friends at FanDuel. I will say, you get West Virginia, you get Iowa State, you get Houston, you get BYU, but that closing stretch where they go TC or where they get Kansas State. Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Oklahoma. I mean, that could, those are road games. <laughs> that could be that could be one in four. And at that point in the year, if your quarterback is banged up, you know, if Morris doesn't stay healthy again, or if he's just not that good, I mean, that's a really, really tough. And SMU's no fucking walkover either. I mean, that's a tough group of five game for a power. Shout out five Grand school. Calcaterra. Yeah. Shout out to Grand Calcaterra. Uh it seems seven wins feels about right but of course like i know sonny dykes and like i know that their his team's offensive prowess has just always been good enough for them to win games i mean his offenses at, at smu when he were there were ridiculous and that's why they were consistently right around that top 25 mark as a group of five team i don't think i can go the under but i really feel like seven is the number so I'll say under, even though I think it's going to come back to bite me. But I just good I, value it plus one eighteen. <laughs> I just look at like that last five game stretch. I feel like at best they go two, not at best, but the way I see it, they go two and three. So then it's are they going to win? Are they only going to lose one other game the rest of the season, other than you know three? And, and I just. Colorado, who knows what the Deion Sanders stuff is going to look like. Um, We said SMU could move. West West Virginia should be – I don't know, man. Seven just feels like the perfect number, so I'm going to take the under just because I feel like it's seven on the dot. I'll take the over. I I think there's a real chance, and I barely. I'm going to take it at eight. Um, I think there's a real chance they could start out six and zero, and then that that gauntlet, like you said. I think uh, you're right. I think they're two and three in that stretch at best. Um, and, and you go six and zero to start the year in those first six games before you hit Kansas State, and you're you're cruising after that, uh, or before that uh, to get six wins. That'll put you at eight. And I think that's that's right where it is. And I think it comes down to one of the last two weeks of the year where they can squeak out a win. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the top two, the big dogs heading into their final year in the Big Twelve: Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I look. I think Texas has to be the favorite right now. Uh, their defense should definitely be better this year. They're returning 15 starters, most of which are on offense. Quinn Ewers is healthy. Remember, he looked really good last year before he got banged up. Um, the Was it the Oklahoma game that he was like balling out and then got hurt? I forget what game it was in. Now, look, they had B. John Robinson, which if we're talking about major losses – that dude in a college football uniform is as dangerous as it gets as a player. Do you imagine this team with this Texas team with Bijan on it? Oh my yeah. God. 
Uh, but I think what we're going to see is a very, a much more balanced running back room than we did last year. Again, because you have Bijan, so you just want Bijan on the field. Um, but between they have a sophomore, Jonathan Brooks, who had 51 carries, 340 yards last year. Uh, they have a senior who has uh, over 660 career yards. Um, and he had two, he was an Alabama transfer who came over with. Uh, 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 Sarkeesian when he took the job. So it's going to be running back by committee, um, but they do have the number one ranked recruit for the 2023 recruiting class, uh, CJ Baxter, who uh, is a true freshman and is not going to be uh, redshirted because you can't redshirt guys anymore or else they will transfer away, which is stupid. Um, but they do have uh both of their starting wide receivers coming back, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittingham, uh, 760 yards and 652 yards coming back, which definitely helps Quinn Ewers. Uh, it's, it's the best wide receiver room in the country that is not Ohio State. Yeah, and it's and it's probably the best quarterback room in the country, hands down, <laughs> between Quinn Ewers. Uh, oh, have yeah. you seen the redshirt freshman, that's, by the way, Malik Murphy? Yeah. Have you I seen have. like and that's, He literally that's looks like Cam like, Newton. Like, it's terrifying. If he get if Quinn gets hurt again this year, like he did last, like depth there is not lacking. You're not going to a drop of a beat or throwing out there, you know. Uh, I I think Malik Murphy is the real deal, and if if Quinn Ewers gets hurt, there's there's a good chance that uh, they're in good hands with Malik. Yeah, Malik Murphy, and then obviously you have Arch Manning there too, who is not going to All play right. this. Yeah. Just but for the yeah, just remember, yeah, number one recruit in the country last year. That's right. Uh, also, <laughs> the best pedigree you can possibly have as a quarterback in the nation. Uh, the question for them is going to be the offensive line. They had uh, a <laughs> they had a freshman All American in 2022 in Kelvin Banks Jr. Um, and they return all five starters across the board. So they should be hands down the best offense in the Big 12. They should be, hands down, the best overall team in the Big 12, which is going to piss off a lot of people. There are going to be a lot of people who are not happy about this uh, in the Big 12 universe. And I understand because it's their last year. You don't want to let them or Oklahoma go out with a bang. But I'll tell you what, every single team in the Big 12, every single team on both Oklahoma and Texas's schedules are going to want to beat the living shit out of them. Every single yeah. game they play this year will be the freaking Super Bowl because all these teams, it's not just horns down anymore. It's it's a middle finger down, and then it's horns in the middle finger, whatever. Like people hate these teams right now. And they're because think about it, like I still like the fact that they added four middle of the road teams, but it's kind of like a fantasy trade when you're like, hey, I'll give you Christian McCaffrey and you give me Traylon Burks. Uh, you know, Dallas Goddard and Deontay Foreman and, and Deontay <laughs> Foreman. And it's like, yeah, three, you know, four, four quarters to a dollar type of a deal. Right. That's kind of what this feels like. You're losing Texas and Oklahoma and you're getting four great programs, but none of which rival Texas or Oklahoma in the overall landscape of what, you know, college football is all about, which is brand name powers. That's the staying power in college football. It's all about recruiting. And after this year, they're losing that and they can 
be in denial all they want and say, well, we have Houston now and SMU or our uh, BYU and UCF right. and all this it's stuff. It's not Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> it's not Texas and Oklahoma. Um, I wanted to but, ask you that too, though. Do you think that there's more, it's more of like a target on the back situation where every team has that game circled uh, that's playing them, whether it's Texas, Oklahoma, or both. Uh, and they're just, there are teams that are going to play the the Super Bowl type game against them, um, or do you think it's well Texas and Oklahoma are leaving to go to the best conference in football uh, in the country that isn't the Big Ten, uh, and so they have to prove that they sort of belong in the SEC uh, and, and really just ball out this year in a conference that neither of them have had success in, uh, certainly not Oklahoma last year and not Texas for the last decade. Well, and Texas is going to get a taste of that in week two when they play Alabama, right? You're getting a 7 p.m. Yeah. primetime kickoff, Texas-Alabama. Which, which was a one-possession game last year. That was incredible. You remember that? Yeah, I do, because I remember I was at a bar and uh, shot up Bronson's Beer Hall in uh, in Boston, in Arlington. And, uh, and there were these two guys who clearly were not like big football fans, um, but we're pretty drunk and we're kind of acting like big football fans. And they were just, they had put money on Texas. So every time Texas scored, it was just, yeah, Texas fucked it, you know, and, and all just hyping themselves up way too much. And I, I, they were sitting next to me and I looked over at them. I was like, you know, Alabama's going to win this game. Right. And then, and then they, they got really mad at me and they were like, fuck you, dude. Like, why would you root against? I was like, I'm not, I'm just telling you what's going to happen. I'm like, Bryce Young is going to go down the field. <laughs> They're going to score a touchdown. They're going to win this football game. He's like, fuck you. That's not going to happen. I'll bet they've been terrible all day. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I actually think this was the game that Quinn Ewers first got banged up last year. Uh, yeah. And, and I said, right. and I said, okay, sure. Let's see it. And then boom, I think there was a huge deep ball that got them down to the red zone. And then Alabama walked in and, and I think kicked the field goal to win the game. And those guys were not happy with your boy. Uh, but I had a great time. I thought it was fucking hilarious because I was like, dude, it's Bryce Young in Alabama. I was like, do you know how good this dude is, Bryce Young? Fucking amazing. If only they listened to the read option podcast, they would have known that yeah, week that they, they should not have bet on Texas. <laughs> I mean, I think Texas was like a 21 and a half point dog. So like taking Texas on the spread was great, but yeah, not whatever they fl- did. Yeah, yeah they, they put them on the money line and, uh, and they were sorely, sorely mistaken. But, you know, that's part of the new thing, man. People, there's new bunch of new gamblers out there in Vegas and all these gambling companies are making a shitload of money off of them. So, you know, good for them, I guess. Uh, okay, lock into the read option. We'll get you right. We will get you right. Uh, but to answer your question about Texas and Oklahoma and how other schools view them, I absolutely think there was, oh, there's, there was always animosity towards Texas and Oklahoma. That's why the horns down thing literally had to be outlawed. They're like, it's like the Yankees. It's like the, the, you know, if you're the Rays and it's the Yankees uh, without winning, like that's, that. yeah. you know, what's a great, a great cop is it's like, <laughs> ironic that we're staying in, in Texas with this. It's like when I talk with other commanders, like other NFC East fans, commanders fans, giants fans, it's like, we don't like each other when we play. We don't like each other in general, but, we when, have a mutual it, but when somebody's playing the Cowboys, we all fucking hate the Cowboys. Doesn't matter who. Yeah. Doesn't matter if the commander, if anybody beats the Cowboys, but if any other team, the Giants, the com- the Commanders, whoever beats the Cowboys, I'm happy, man. I'm happy. So it, it's kind of like that, right? Except Texas has actually won something within the last thirty years. Uh, 
almost 30 years. So it's I a long think, yardstick, though. I mean, there's always been that kind of hatred towards Texas and Oklahoma because they've always been very kind of nose down towards the rest of the Big 12 and have always kind of looked at themselves as better. And for good reason, because Oklahoma has been way better than anybody else in college football, uh, at least, sorry, in the Big 12. And Texas has been, for the most part in their Big 12 history, better than most of those teams, even though Texas has not been particularly good over the last 15 years. I think the fact that they're leaving now, there is a little bit of a, yeah, go have fun in the SEC getting your ass kicked by LSU and Alabama and all those schools. Like, you go, you go knock yourselves out. Like, I do think that is part of it. But I also think it's going to be like a, hey, we want to send you out with a fucking loss. Like, we want to get right up in you. Yeah. We don't, this is our last chance to beat you in conference. I think it's not necessarily the Super Bowl, but like a team like Kansas, right? Or a team like Kansas State. You wake up a little more fired up for that game. Yeah. You know, like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. I don't even know what the line is. I don't even know what it is. I would put in a bet today for Oklahoma State because they're losing Bedlam. Bedlam. <laughs> they're losing Bedlam. So it's like, uh, yeah. They're not going to play in non-con? I mean, they might, but they haven't set it up yet. And that's sacrificing, that's criminal. That's sacrificing one of your, you know, big. Uh, this happens in conference realignment. We lose these rivalries, right? Was it uh, West Virginia or Pitt and Penn State used to be one? Pitt and West Virginia yeah. used to be one. Um, like you, West when Virginia's you have, playing both of them this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then it turns into like, well, once every 10 years, we'll reignite the rivalry kind of a deal. And you lose like that specialness of Oklahoma, Oklahoma yeah, State in state every single yeah. year. You know, yeah, and that and weird. that sucks. And that sucks. Uh, so I guarantee you, whatever that money that whatever that spread is, no matter what is Oklahoma State could have one. Well, I could have two wins all year. I'm taking Oklahoma State. So, yes, that's a long winded way of saying I do think there will be significant animosity towards both of these programs. And even if it's not quite like their Super Bowl, you know that all of these teams, especially not assuming, but projecting Texas to lose to Alabama in week two. If Texas has college football playoff hopes, which I actually think they have the roster to be able to do that, they have to beat Alabama. And if they don't, they have to basically run the table in the, in the they have to run the table in the Big 12 in order to have a shot at the college football playoff. Um, but once they get past Bama, it's a pretty favorable schedule. I mean, Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma, you get it. You get it. kind of a quick. It's weird to think that we have to consider Kansas as like that's not a pushover game anymore for the Big 12, but it's not. Lance mm. Lightfoot's a good coach. Texas will be favored in all of those games, and Texas will likely win all of those games. Uh, but it's going to be tested early. Then you get Houston and BYU. And then you finish out the year with four teams that could end up anywhere in the Big 12. And I wouldn't be shocked. Kansas State, TCU, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Yeah, you could tell me any one of those teams wins eight games this year. So it's not the hardest schedule I've ever seen, but it's going to be a really, really tough. I mean, Alabama makes it a really, really hard schedule. Um, yeah, but, but I really, I, I'm, I think I'm, with have, you. I'm struggling to find a third loss on here. Yes. Like a, I mean, a third, I, a lock for a third loss. I, exactly. And, and I'll say this barring injury. I, I even, I know you were saying there like Malik Murphy behind them, like they have skill at that position, obviously. I think it's very hard to think that like this team can't and won't be in the big 12 championship. Like I don't, well, they like, should I, be. that's but what I'm saying. We've said like, that for the last decade. Like, 
Well, not always. I mean, every year it was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't really have like this year. It's like they have one of the best offensive lines in the big 12. They have the best quarterback. They have the best wide receiver room. They have a really good running back room. The offense is going to be really, really good. And the defense has a bunch of returning starters. I think they're bringing six out of the, out of their 11 from last year. They have the senior middle linebacker, Jalen Ford, who had a monster season for them last year. Uh, And the big question for them defensively, I think, comes more along the defensive line. I don't know how much depth they have. I don't know if they have a true elite pass rusher. But if everyone stays healthy on offense, which, again, is a big if, this is the best offense in the Big 12, and it's probably one of the top five offenses in the country. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. Everything on paper says they should be there. I'm just tired of hearing Texas is back. No, they're not. Texas is back. No, they're not. But Texas is actually back. No, they're not. Yeah. Uh, look, they, they on paper, I, I totally agree with you. On paper, I think they're the best roster in the Big 12. I think they, they have the best talent in the Big 12, top to bottom, on both sides of the football. Uh, I think they have uh, one of the better coaching rooms in the country. But Steve Sarkeesian even hasn't won 10 games as a head coach in his career ever. So, like... Are they actually back? I need mm. to see it on the field, right? And that Alabama game, you're right, is going to be a huge test, um, especially because, like, even a loss there, um, I, I think actually hurts you this year. Um, but even a loss there, uh, and they should be able to cruise through the conference. I, I don't know that they can. Um, and as much as I think that that they have the talent to to be in the top four at the end of the year, which is, I think there's the highest ceiling. I also think they have one of the lowest floors uh, because of the expectation. See, I disagree. Cause I, I think even, I think the floor of their season is eight wins. I think eight wins is a disappointing season for them. Yeah. Based off I, the amount and, of as it should but, be. But I, also, I think nine should be, but I, but I also, I, I would probably agree with that. What I'm saying is I don't think they get anything less than eight wins. Like if they got eight wins, I would genuinely be surprised. Because I think they just have too much. And people forget because of all the Arch Manning stuff. Well, again, like we're going to see it. Like this is the year that it culminates. This is year number three, which in the modern, you know, college football world, it doesn't take a full recruiting cycle anymore. It's like you need to get some good recruits in when you first take the job. He's done that. He had back-to-back years where he had like the number one offensive line recruiting class. like like, And so his offensive line is stacked and they're deep. You have the best. That one of the best quarterbacks in the country, like it's so funny to me how quickly, and I don't know if it's the Arch Manning thing or the fact that he went to Ohio state for a year and then transferred like Quinn Ewers was like the highest rated quarterback prospect ever, ever. Like not since Andrew Luck, not since Trevor Lawrence ever. <laughs> like goat. this dude, this dude is stupidly talented. And if he's he has standing. a break, if he has a breakout year this year, if they beat Alabama, it is on. And Texas fans will be insufferable, but it is on. And I, I think that they can beat Alabama. I think Alabama has a lot of question marks. It's still saving. It's still going to be hard. But and I think they have to go to Alabama this year, actually, because last year was in That's Texas, correct, right? Yeah. yeah. So they're in Alabama, <laughs> which will make it hard uh, objectively. Um, in Tuscaloosa, that'll be the first regular season game that Alabama fans might actually come to, uh, and stay God. more than the first quarter. That's the, that's the most, the two most insufferable college football fan bases. Who, Texas two and Alabama. 
Yeah. Yeah. Two no. of them. I was going to say, take a look in the mirror first there, bud, and then we can talk All about right. that. Two, two of the top five. Two of the top five are in the Big Ten. Actually, yeah, I'd say three out of the top five are probably in the top ten. And then Texas would probably be right up there. Alabama fans don't bother me. Alabama fans are kind of like Patriots fans. It's like, I want to talk shit to you, but I really can't. Except yeah, I can I enough. can because we at least you know we we had the Super Bowl against the Pats. But like you can't say anything again to a New England fan. You just you can't say anything. You can't say anything to Alabama yep. fan. Yeah, what are you gonna say? Yeah, you guys are you guys are so fucking good. Fuck you. That's it. So so why say anything? Just appreciate the greatness. Uh what's their over under win total? Is it nine and a half? Uh, yeah, I wrote it. Yeah, geez, I scrolled down on my notes. Please hold scrolling back up. Yeah, nine and a half. And you can get that courtesy of our friends at FanDuel over at minus 140, the under at plus 114. Guess where I'm going, bud? I'm taking the over. I, I want to. Um, so for, for, for picks purposes, uh, on the pod straight up, I think they're going to go over. I can't find a third loss. That's a lock on this schedule. Um, for gambling purposes, I will take the under under nine and a half. Um, I, I think there's it's a game or two. It's where, better bat value at the know? at the value for gambling. Yes, hundred percent. I think there's a game or two where they could trip up here. I, I don't see them losing to Oklahoma. Uh, at Baylor could get frisky, uh, but they could and, lose. And to I'm, Oklahoma. I'm assuming. I'm assuming there's the Alabama loss, right? That's that's what this is predicated so, yeah. on. If you if you um, include the Bama loss, I I could definitely see them losing the Red River rivalry. That game's uh-huh. always batshit crazy every single year. At Houston, I'd have no idea what that what that's going to look like. Kansas State, TCU, uh, and Texas Tech to end the year. I mean, one well, of that's those three could be a loss. Well, and that's the Maybe thing too two. is of those are the three teams that I think have because Kansas, like I think Kansas will. They were six and seven last year uh, six with and their six. bowl. Yeah, and then with they, the bowl, yeah, and then right, the bowl yeah. game at the end. So I think they finished six and seven. I think Kansas is going to be like a seven-win team this year, um, and we'll we'll talk about them in a little bit. I think Kansas is going to be like a seven-ish win team, but Kansas State, TCU, and Texas Tech. You could tell me that any of those three teams could win eight or nine games, and I wouldn't be surprised. And if one of them ends up being really good, like we think Kansas State can be, then yeah, that finishing stretch is brutal. Uh, I could see going to, you know, going to Iowa State, uh, what could be a potential night game in week 11, or I guess it'd be week 12, whatever it is, towards the end of the season. And that's like your buy, that's like supposed to be the easy week in your final four. Like that's going to be a really tough one for them, too. Like you just can't sleep on that. Yeah. So there is definitely wiggle room there. And I, I can't believe I'm actually going to say this. I think Texas is back. I think Texas is back this I year. I care about you, buddy. I even think that they're going to be a college football playoff team. Oh, I'm not going to say that for sure, but that like, in my gut, I, it's just like, it's one of those gut feelings. I've never felt this way about Texas. They showed me the little bits of glimpses that I needed to last year with Quinn Ewers and Steve Sarkeesian and like the way that offense was running. I know Bijan was a big part of it, but I actually think they might be just as productive as a running back unit as as Bijan was last year. The wide receiver rooms are good. The offensive line's yeah. really good. The defense the, needs uh, to be able to hold up. So what's the old uh the old Alabama song? If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. 
That is. They true. got a couple of fiddles in, uh, in, in on both sides of the ball. So uh, that is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, talk about the last of our uh, potential contenders here in uh, the for the 2023 Big 12 season. That is Oklahoma, um, and you have to put Oklahoma in this conversation. For and, and some people may say this is stupid, but it's the truth because they're Oklahoma. You you have to respect a program like Oklahoma. I love Brent Venables. I think the transition from Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables. I used to have a downstairs neighbor who I referenced a ton on this pod, who is a diehard Oklahoma fan. He wanted Lincoln Riley gone so often. He would talk about, I just don't think Lincoln Riley's got it this year. I just don't, you know, he doesn't focus on defense. He doesn't recruit the right guys, you know, and then, and then Venables comes in and he's, and he's, and he's mother, (laughs) you know, and he's motherfucking, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley on the way out the door. Ah, you know, he was, he already had one foot out, you know, he was taking, he didn't care about Oklahoma, about all this stuff. Halfway through the season last year, he's like, you know, I love, because he was so excited about the Brent Venables hire. And he's like, you know what? I just don't think Brent Venables, he just may not be the guy, you know? And it was literally six games. And I remember telling him, I'm like, Rahelio, bud, you got to take a breather, man. You got to just hit the pause button. All right. I was like, give it some time. I was like, you constantly bitched about Lincoln Riley. He's like, well, you know, at least Lincoln Riley can score points like this offense. I don't even know what they're doing. I'm like, but two, they scored. To his point, like that is the expectation at Oklahoma. Well, is but, that you're good year in, year out. Doesn't matter who your coach is, doesn't matter who's on the field at the beginning, uh, once you break camp. It, it, exactly. it doesn't matter. And look, that is the beauty and insanity of college football fans. I get it. Like they they have these completely unrealistic, irrational thoughts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right uh, in front of you. <laughs> for those listening, Scotty just pointed to his own face. Um, but like I look at, you know what happened with Lincoln Riley. And it was like, well, the defense sucks. And they bring in Alex Grinch and stuff now. And, and that wasn't working. They tried to change coordinators. No, that was working. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they, they move on and then they bring in Venables. And it's like, well, Hey, you know, well, the defense isn't even playing that good. I'm like, well, he's still using the players that Lincoln Riley had, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, bud. <laughs> like, Hey, it's, it's George Washington and chopping down a cherry tree. Right. You know, it's or uh, Armani Python, right. Cut down a tree with a herring. Like, it's like, what do you want him to do, man? There's only there's only so much that he could do. And this is why Oklahoma fans should be excited and why I have them sneaking into this kind of group where I could see them winning the Big 12 this year is that the defense got better as the season went on. The more the young guys who were there with Brent Venable started to understand, learn the system, kind of get caught up, they started playing really, really well. And Dylan Gabriel was pretty solid for them. Like Man, offense, they averaged so well <laughs> they averaged over 30 points a game last year. I know that was still only like fifth in the in the Big 12, but the Big 12 puts up a lot of points. The defense has to be better. If you if you tell de- me well in look, year number two that Brent Venables defense is allowing because they averaged more than 30 points per game last year, too. So if you're gonna tell me that hey, they get that number down to 25 points a game on average. Oklahoma's going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, and look, they they got a lot of, uh, to your point, uh, we talked about recruiting, but you know they got a lot of guys in the transfer portal uh, that I think fit much better into Venable's 2-5-4 through whatever the hell he runs over there. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a hybrid, um, which which is 
part of what makes his defense is great is that he's got a lot of guys he can interchange at, at, at for sure the first two levels. Um, and so, um, sorry, the, so the back two levels, um, but it could, uh, it, it, they, those transfers can make a difference, uh, not only with their talent, but with their experience. So I think the defense is going to look a little bit better there. I'm not sold on Dylan Gabriel. I'm not. He's a three-star guy. He's going to have a revenge game against UCF. Uh, not a revenge game. Maybe it's a revenge game for UCF, but yeah, a little uh, bit of both. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just not. So I think at, at, at his best, he's the third best quarterback in the big 12 right now. Uh, and, and granted he he was pretty solid last year when he played, he was second in the FBS in, in 2022 with a 1.1% turnover worthy play rate, uh, which is big because you don't want your quarterback uh, making bonehead plays like that. And he played really smart for, for how poorly that, that team played uh, up and down last year. But I think the ceiling for him is um, a little higher than uh, uh, I think uh, it is for, for Jalen Daniels, who I think uh, out of Kansas, who I think is the, the second best quarterback uh, in, in the conference. Um, I think Dylan Gabriel could be, could be good could be good that that wide receiver room is not as explosive and elite as it's been uh in years past uh the offensive line is a big question mark uh there there's 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 a lot of question marks on on offense and 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 a lot still on defense i don't think uh you know if if oklahoma goes in there and raids the portal uh and granted they had a really really good recruiting class but if if oklahoma goes in there and raids the portal the way that tcu did we're talking about a different story here yeah, and, and look, I think by nature, because you know Brent Venables isn't an offensive-minded coach traditionally, um, if you're a, tra- a player in the transfer portal and you can go play at you know TCU and be like, hey, I can be the next Quentin Jefferson, you're probably Johnson. more likely to, yeah. or Johnston, you're probably more likely to go over and play there. Like, yeah, I, for sure. I do. I do get that. However. I think the defense has to be better. It's just it, there is no other option for Brent Venables in Oklahoma to be better. They were 99th in the country last year in scoring defense. They were a very, very mediocre defense, uh, and that's putting it mildly. Losing, Losing offensive offense. skill guys because they didn't have a ton of like great weapons on the outside last year. They did bring in a couple transfers. They have a couple of young running backs. They're kind of going to split time. I know you may not be super high on Dylan Gabriel, but Dylan Gabriel is the classic, like, good, fun, exciting college quarterback, right? But is he good enough to get you to the college football playoff? I don't think so, you know? But it's like, I look at Washington, like Michael Penix Jr. Like, to me, it's it's very similar, right? It's very similar in that we're, we're looking at a team. He was down. <laughs> we're, look, we're looking at a team and, and a quarterback that will just be fun, right? He th- His numbers last year were good. I mean, he threw for uh, 3,200 yards and 25 touchdowns. They put up 32.8 points per game last year, right? The offense wasn't the problem. The problem was, well, the offensive line wasn't great last year, but it's actually the strength of their offense this year, which I think will help them a lot because you can – guys will get open at the college level. You just need time for the quarterback to get them the ball. And I think the fact that Oklahoma – it, it, the, the top three lines in college or in the Big 12 this year, Kansas State, Texas, and Oklahoma. So right away, that gives you a huge advantage. Dylan Gabriel's also a good athlete. 
uh, and guys will get open, but it's also going to help your running game. And the more you can keep your offense on the field, scoring a bunch of points, which I think they will score a lot of points this year, the, the easier it is on your defense. And I think what Oklahoma needs to do is make life easier on their defense in addition, in addition to them to stepping, them up, stepping and up and being a significantly better, team, better team, team in 2023. Uh, what do you have Oklahoma's over-under at for win total? It's at nine and a half uh, again. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a rough one. That seems I, high. Look, I, that think, seems I think, really too, that there's, there's a world and there's an argument to be made where Dylan Gabriel is, like we said, a good quarterback, not great. There's a world where maybe Venables is a good defensive coordinator, not a great head coach, uh, especially against some of the spread out offenses uh, that he's seeing in the Big 12, not like anything what we're seeing or what he saw in the ACC that built uh, Clemson up to uh, to where they are. Nine and a half wins. I'm looking at their schedule. I got the number at right at about nine. I was going to say, I'll um, tell you what, they have the easiest conference schedule of any team yeah. in, the, in the Big 12. They get Cincinnati. They get three of the four newcomers. They get Cincinnati, they get UCF, and they get BYU. But it's at BYU. At this is where – They also where have Iowa State. They also have Kansas. They also have West Virginia. And they have Oklahoma State, all of which – again, now, again, I said this before. I'm taking Oklahoma State no matter what in that game. And then their out-of-conference schedules really easy. Man, how about SMU, by the way? They're playing two different uh, – they're playing TCU and Oklahoma, Oklahoma. out-of-conference. Well, they'll be in the Big 12 before long. Yeah, yeah, it does kind of feel that way. Um, but Arkansas <laughs> State, SMU, and Tulsa as your out-of-conference games, and then the easiest conference schedule, it feels like it really should be nine, man. There's not a single game on here. I mean, again, I think Texas – and it's frustrating because on paper, Texas is a significantly better football team. I, I think personally, I think they are significantly better. And I think they have a much better offense and play caller. And I think they have more talent on the defensive side of the ball, even though I think uh, obviously Brent Venables is a better defensive coach than anybody on the Texas staff. I think that game is not close like it was last year. I think that that Red River rivalry is It's is always not crazy, close. though. It's always crazy. It's one of the 49 best nothing of the was pretty crazy last year when Texas won. Uh, and, and I think... I think they're they're due for for another big one. Um, I don't think yeah, that. But you know, Oklahoma is going to be so fucking pissed off, dude. You know, yeah, well, for sure, and they're going to be fired up because now there'll be yeah, SEC rivals instead of Big Twelve rivals. You're giving me the hook nine and a half. I think one of these teams, like we talked about at the top, one of these newcomers uh, or one of the middle of the pack teams in uh, in the Big Twelve last year is going to be fired up enough, especially in one of these road games, Kansas, Oklahoma State. Uh, even TCU uh, at, at home for Oklahoma at the end of the year it is good enough to beat them. I got it right at nine, dude. I'm taking the under. Man. Yeah, I just – I don't think – the defense has to be better, but they also haven't added a lot of talent on defense. They did okay in the transfer portal. Man, it's just the schedule is so easy comparatively. I mean, it's hard, It's a, but, like – and there's a world where they yeah, can come nine, out gangbusters. Nine seems and, like the number. <laughs> I mean, look, my instinct was to take the under until I saw the until I really like dove into the schedule. And man, that schedule is just weak sauce. I'll take the under. I'll, but I think you're right. I think it's nine. I think Texas is a loss. I think Oklahoma State, or I mean, Oklahoma State, Iowa. I mean, any one of those could be a loss. It's just, man, that's tough. 
Man, that's freaking tough. Mm. I'll take the under. I don't. I honestly don't like it because, like, imagine yeah. if Texas had the schedule. I'd have Texas going undefeated. I think it's the most trap of trap lines. Yeah, because like, if, if if you gave Texas this schedule, I would say the over under would be at ten and a half. If and not, it wouldn't even if be not, close. If not, really. if not eleven and a half. Honestly, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, let's take a break. We've gone too long without taking a break. We'll, uh, we'll hit on some extra stuff here in the Big 12, but those are our four big uh, favorites to win the, the conference. I keep wanting to say division because i got so much NFL on the brain. Uh, those are the favorites. We'll hit on some other teams and wrap up the pod on the other side. All right, we're going to wrap up the pod. We Honestly, we hit all the newcomers, um, and we hit the top team. So all we have left is this kind of goofy middle zone here uh, that includes Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas, Oklahoma State um, kind of talked about Iowa State a little bit. I mean, the the drop off from Matt Campbell, but again, Matt Campbell's a great coach. I could easily see them kind of bouncing back. Yeah, um, and well, any, any one of these teams, like it, it, there were so many one possession games among all of these teams last year. Yeah, a break here or there, it could be the difference between a nine and three season and, and an eight and four season and a seven. Especially and five for season. Iowa State. Like Iowa State, the years that they won, they were winning like eight, nine, ten games. They were a ton of one possession games. And sometimes, you know, the ball bounces your way, right? It's like the the Vikings last year, right? Um, West Virginia, man, it's interesting because they went five and seven last year, which wasn't that bad. I mean, they were one win away from getting to a bowl game. West Virginia is just a tough place to win. Um, I like Neil Brown a lot. I think he's a really good coach. It's just a tough place to win, man. I, I'm yeah. very curious to see how they do next season or this upcoming season, I should see. But look, if they don't end up winning, I'd say if they don't end up making a bowl game, even, even if they do, I think Neil Brown's probably out at West Virginia. Um, I, I would agree. That would be my first. Uh, uh, we did this out. last week. He's just about 500, though, man. 22 and 25. Yeah, but the he's, he's got to go. And I don't, defense. I don't think Pitt is very good this year. Not as good as they've been in, in the in the past handful of years. I, I can't believe that sentence just came out of my mouth. Uh, but they got to play Pitt as in a non-con, and they got to go to Penn State week one uh, yeah. for a night game. Uh, those are both going to be tough. Two good, two tough games. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. I don't know what their over under is. My guess is it's probably like four and a half. I think it's five and a half. Yeah. Four and a half or five and a half. Yeah. I was going to say, I was hoping it'd be four and a half because I think I might take the over. If it's four and a half, I'd take the over. I think they at least win five games. I don't, I don't think they're going to finish. A lot of people have them finishing last in the division or the conference. I don't think there's a, I'd be shocked if they finished last behind all four of the new teams. I could see that though. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, yeah, uh, I'd be surprised the day. And I, I, and I think that they haven't, whatever it is, I think they have yeah. enough to, uh, to, to be ahead of the uh, two or three of those teams. So uh, of, that are newcomers. five and a half is the number. Five and a half. Gotcha. Uh, so of the four teams you were talking about there, Texas tech, Kansas, Baylor, and Oklahoma state, what do you think is the most, which team do you think is the most likely, or are you most excited about Like, Which team do you think has the best chance to kind of crack that top, that top tier, um, or even if you don't think they'll crack the top tier, is the one that gets you particularly excited? Uh, two actions on lightly is, is tech, uh, whatever, um, whatever, uh, Joe McGuire, their head coach is doing. I really like uh, great system. And he's, a, he's still a year behind, uh, the, the Chris Clemens of the world, 
uh, the the Sonny Dykes of the world, the Lance Leopolds uh, of the world uh, in terms of, of establishing a program. Their schedule is really tough uh, at uh, first against TCU at Kansas, UCF uh, and at Texas in November stuff. Uh, I just think I think they're close, but they're a year away. And I think a lot of people are judging them based off of uh, how they ended the year last year with uh, with four out of six straight wins. Um, so Texas Tech is there. Uh, but the one I really love is uh, is Kansas, uh, who's who's returning 17 starters on their team. They scored 93 points in losses last year without Jalen Daniels, who I think is the second best quarterback uh, in, in the conference. Um, wow. Jalen. Yeah, I really do. Uh, he, he's that good of a player. Uh, he Jalen missed most of the, the TCU game. They only lost by 10. They put up 42 against Oklahoma in Norman. Uh, last year without Jalen Daniels, and they sprinkled in a win against Oklahoma State. He's arguably the best quarterback in the conference. I think he's not quite as good as as uh, as Quinn Ewers, though, clearly. Um, they get running back Devin Neal back, who's a really solid back. The offensive line is experienced. They return three starters who average over 500 snaps. They add Logan Brown. Ackle, who's a star trans with, they were 124th overall uh, in the FBS. Uh, worst overall defense in, in the conference. Uh, they were terrible in, in, in rush defense. Their defensive line was, was atrocious. Uh, uh, and uh, it, was, it was decent enough in pass rush. They had a 73 PFF grade. Uh, and they ranked top 30 in force fumbles and turnovers. But as a whole, they were not very good. Uh, they gave up. I think it was 35 and a half points a game. Um, so I'd be concerned about, uh, they got a lot of transfers too uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. They got five of them uh, in the off season, uh, a lot of turnover. Uh, I'd, I'd be concerned about the chemistry uh, for that Kansas team, but I think on the offensive side of the ball, they're really good uh, and they're good enough to keep them in games. I love what Leipold's doing over there uh, at Kansas. And I would, I, I, I like them as a, as a frisky dark horse pick. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think eight wins is very realistic for them. Um, I've been a huge Lance Leipold fan for a while when they hired him. I remember talking on this show about how much I like Lance Leipold and obviously the job he's done working his way up from. I think it was Wisconsin Whitewater was where he started at the D3 level and put together like six or seven straight national championships, like some crazy stretch like that. He gets the, the job at... Yeah, he gets the job at Buffalo. I, don't know. Um, I, I have no idea, to be honest. Um, but he gets the job in Buffalo and made Buffalo one of the best group of five teams in the country. Cracked the top 25 with them. You know, so I, I've i always loved what Lance Leipold's done. And I think the fact that he's kind of had the balls to take this coaching job and to have a four-win improvement from year one to year two, which, by the way, remember, Les My- remember how he got this job? Les Miles got ousted because of the report that came out about his time at uh, LSU, which everyone always kind of knew even behind the scenes, like, mm, Hey, Les miles, yeah. kind of a dirt bag. Um, and got so behind he, him too. <laughs> he took over the job in 2021. When I remember big 12 media days, he couldn't go because he was, it was still like COVID stuff. And like, he, he wasn't able to be there in person because he had just gotten the job so quickly. So I remember being on a zoom call with him, and he's like in, you know, he's got like, he's like in the stadium with like, and I don't know if it was his office or someone's office, but like with the stadium in the background, 
uh, through a big glass window. And he came to the game really late. He missed the recruiting period. He missed the transfer window. Like, and this is all pre-transfer portal. And they went two and 10. Like, what do you expect? It's Kansas. Kansas was dog shit when he took it over. And then Basketball they won. School. They made a bowl game last year. They went 500 yeah. in the regular season. They beat Kansas. Um, I think his first year, one of those two wins came against Texas. Came against Texas when like the fourth string tight end or whatever scored the game winning touchdown, or it was like the two point conversion, the over double overtime rules in college football. So I expect Kansas to be better this year, only because I'm a huge Lance Leipold fan, and I will continue to back him. I like Jalen Daniels a lot. If he stays healthy, the offense should be very good. Uh, returning 17 starters is practically unheard of in college. The defense yeah. is going to be a problem. They gave up 35 and a half points per game last year. You can't outscore everybody, but Lance Leipold historically has had good defensive teams. I think it's just taking a little while. Uh, the one concern with them defensively is they lost all four of their starters on the defensive line last year. Mm -hmm. So replacing four starters on the D line is going to be very hard, but I, what, what's their win total at Scotty? Uh, six and a half. Yeah. I would take the over. I think, I think seven, I, I, I think they, I, I could see seven or eight wins for them. Absolutely. Um, I think it's way over. I, I really do. I think this could be a nine win team and I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh -huh. I, that would be awesome. I would, I would love to see that from Kansas. I don't know. I mean, I think they benefit from having the new teams join the big 12 as much yeah, as anybody, get, because immediately you UCF uh, and Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, but just in general, like immediately, I think Kansas is actually with the last two years with Lance Leipold is actually in a better spot right now than all four of those teams. You know, if, if Luke Fickle was still at Cincinnati, I'd say Cincinnati's a bet, in a better spot than uh, Kansas. But if you're telling me those four programs versus Kansas the last two years with Lance Leipold, I'm taking Kansas and I'm taking Lance Leipold. Uh, yeah, me too. I think there's a I, they could easily start 4-0 Missouri State, Illinois, at Nevada, and BYU. Uh, Illinois is going to be tough, but I don't think they're as good as they, they have been in the past years. And yeah. I think they win. I think they split both games uh, between uh, – uh, they're at Texas in, in uh, late uh, late September, and, and then they have Oklahoma at home in uh, in late October. I think they win one or one of those two games. I don't think Pretty... they have. I don't think they have the the Jimmys and the Joes to hang with Texas. Um, but Oklahoma, I could see. I could see that yeah. getting getting weird. Right, that's a game I could see getting weird. Uh, I want to push back against Texas Tech a little bit. They've become kind of one of those darling teams. Um, Joey McGuire, their head coach. He was a uh, interim head coach that they stuck the title on and he's kind of stayed that defense needs to get a lot better. Um, and they, and they lost, lost their best part of it. I was going to yeah. say they lost the guy. Like, the defense was bad last year and they had a top 10 pick in Tyree Wilson. So, um, but the, the to, def to be fair, that was like most all of what they lost on defense last year. They got a lot. Coming True. Back. So having returning defensive players helps. But if they're not good defensive players, how good is it going to be? You know, and you can say that about a lot of schools, right? Just because they have guys returning doesn't necessarily automatically mean they're going to be really good. It gives them a better chance because they're more experienced than ideally that these kids who are kids will continue to grow and get better. So that way by the time that they're juniors and seniors, they're really, really good football players. Uh, I just don't know if, if they're going to have the Jimmys and the Joes defensively to get any better. 
Um, and I'll say this too, their offense gave up 41 sacks last year, right? I mean, that's giving up almost four sacks a game. Uh, I know Taylor Shug like had a pretty good season. Um, but man, I, I have a hard time buying into Texas tech being in that top tier group. And it seems like a lot of people have them as a dark horse. I I Um, think they're a year away. Like I said, uh, I I like what they're building. Uh, I I love the, the culture there that they're building and the, and the, and the uh, talent that they're getting in. But like, like I said, I think people are hanging on them as a dark horse because of what happened last year. They needed overtime to beat Houston at home. They needed overtime to beat Texas at home. Uh, they crushed a terrible West Virginia team. They kept it tight against uh, a TCU as a national championship. Uh, they, 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 uh, uh, team who was at in the last season. Right, on the schedule, they got to play Houston. Uh, they're at Baylor, uh, Kansas State, and back to back weeks in October. Um, and then I, I, I showed them the tough November. So um, I think it's going to be a, a tough ride for them. Yeah, absolutely. And those one score games, you know, you never really know how they end up changing from year to year. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. That's another yeah. one that could be. Middle of the pack. Group. Middle um, of the pack's a weird place to be in, yeah. in the Big 12. I, I will say so the other two teams, I love Baylor. I just love Dave Aranda. He's another, like we, we talked about this beforehand. We were like, if you were to draft the coaches in the big 12, it might be the most fun group to do it with. Right. Because you could have an argument for a lot of coaches for number one, because none of them are particularly proven. Um, I mean, who, what coach is the most successful? I mean, you could say Sonny Dykes cause he got to a national championship, but it's also only been one year. Um, and he also had his stint at Ole Miss that had some problems that came with it. And uh, the SMU stuff was really good. But that was group of five. You could say Sark, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. I mean, Cal as well. Um, you could say Sark, right? Because Sark was really good at Washington and then went to USC and had a bunch of personal stuff away from the field, but then went on to lead some of the best offenses in, in college football history at Alabama and has won games and called plays in national championships. So his resume is pretty robust. Brent Venable's done the exact same thing on the defensive side of the ball, but is still completely unproven as a head coach, or at least Sark, you're like, well, he has coached at multiple Power Five conferences and one of the biggest college football brands in the country, albeit, again, not the best-case scenario when Sark was there, given his off-the-field stuff. Um, Mike Gundy's been doing it. I mean, Mike Gundy – did you realize this? Oklahoma has Oklahoma State hasn't had a losing record since 2005? Oh, they're about to, Chief. <laughs> they might, but they also they're kind of like Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. Like it's just yeah. <laughs> they they go out there and they're good for six wins. It, every it just year. feels like like the conference has evolved around Oklahoma State staying the same level. You know? Yeah. Well, and but then they have years where they're, you know, a couple of years ago, they were a top 10 team. Right. You know, like it, they always end up having a big year, but it's kind of cyclical with Mike Gundy. Um, and I was actually wrong earlier when I said I thought Spencer Sanders was still there. He actually left last year. So they will have a new quarterback. And in uh, 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 God, why, why do I always forget where Oklahoma State is? Stillwater. Stillwater. Thank you. Um, 
But if you're talking about coaches in this coach draft in, in the Big 12, that like guys who I'm like, man, you know who I would love to have be the coach of my team? Dave Aranda. I fucking yeah. love Dave Aranda. That dude knows how to coach and knows how to win football games. And he's always good defensively, dropping to six and six last year after a 12 and two season the year before. Part of that kind of feels like just classic Big 12 craziness where just a team drops off off you know completely out of nowhere after being really, really good. But defensively, they're still going to be one of the best teams in all of college uh, in all of the Big 12 because you have Dave Aranda there. The question for them is going to be the quarterback spot. Um, you know, Blake Shapin did not play well last year. They brought in uh, Sawyer Robertson, who's going to be pushing for the starting job. Seems as though Shapin has, after spring ball and stuff, has on to that. Um, but there's a lot of question marks around Baylor this year from a roster standpoint. I just love Dave Aranda. And if they went six and six last year in the regular season, I don't know what their over under is. It's probably six and a half, seven and a half. Seven and a half. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> so I would I would put Baylor at the over there because they just seem like a team to me that's going to perpetually be in that seven to eight wins. Seven anywhere from seven to twelve wins, right? Like they're just yeah, they're going to be good. Like I can see Dave Aranda having a run similar to Mike Gundy, where even when they have like a down year, it's still not like so bad that you're like, oh shit, we got to get rid of our coach. Um, and I think look, Baylor's had success with a bunch of different types of coaches. I think Dave Aranda's a perfect fit there, um, despite when he first took and, the job that people didn't think he would be. I, I'm with you, and, and I don't feel like a Dave Aranda defense is going to be bad for too long. Uh, and they got a bunch of transfers in there, uh, and their schedule is super favorable. Uh, they do have Texas, uh, but they play all four of the newcomers. Uh, no, three of the four, and B, uh, BYU is the only one they don't play. Um but the back half of the schedule is at Cincinnati, Iowa State, Houston, at Kansas State, at TCU, West Virginia. Like that's the back half of their schedule in November. Yeah. Uh, I I I think this is a, a cakewalk. Uh, apart from from the Texas game and and, and a tough non-con game against Utah in week two, yeah. uh, I really like their their chances to get above seven and a half wins. And look, three of their losses last year came by one score, right? Um, you expect the offense to be better. The defense yeah. has to be better. Balance goes their way. Yeah. In, in 2021, they gave up 19.8 points per game defensively. Last year, they gave up 30.7. They gave up 11 more points per game in the span of two seasons. Like, well, one season technically. It was yeah. one season, and that that's a big drop off. It's, it so seems like ex- an outlier. Yeah. Expect the defense probably not to be as good as it was in 21, but will definitely be, be better uh, than it was in 2022. Uh, it's just a matter of can the offense get better because Blake Shapin was terrible in the red zone. And frankly, they did not have enough running uh, talent or honestly, skill positions, uh, possession, skill position players. My brain's starting to mush uh, to really feel like they were going to be a, a top 10 contender on offense. So uh, I'll be interested to see. And Oklahoma State, look, it's Mike Gundy. Um they have a true freshman who's battling for the quarterback position. They have Al- Alan Bowman from Texas Tech. Um, Michigan, too, yeah. Yeah, and Michigan as well. Uh, and then Garrett Rangel, who I am not can't say I'm super familiar with. Um, but they have a new defensive coordinator in there. I'm excited. I think Oklahoma State's going to be really good. Not really good. Let me rephrase. I think Oklahoma State's going to be Oklahoma State in that they're going to be good enough to win more than six games. 
bowl eligible is where you want to be. I just, I don't know. Uh, like, it seems like they've been on the decline, uh, like I said, as the conference kind of gets better around them. Uh, but you're right, you know. It's, but it's every three, it's like every two years. Yeah, it's cyclical, your calendar, you're right. right? It's yep. like, boom, every, it's bad year, decent year, really good year. Bad year, and their yeah. bad year, again, is like six wins, right? So it's like a six-win six season, eight-win season, ten-win season. Then it goes back, six-win, eight, ten. It's just that rotation over and over again. And I feel like they're in that in-between stage right now where they're like, yeah, look, remember they're going to have a new quarterback. Yeah, I mean, two years <laughs> They ago. were playing Baylor in the conference championship game. Two years yeah, ago. and, if, and <laughs> if, if they win the Big 12 championship, they're in the college football playoff. They would have been a one-loss Power Five champ. They would have been in mm-hmm. the college football playoff. And forget who the running back was for Baylor, but for Baylor. Oh, yeah, who stretched, stretched the on the pylon. Yeah. yeah, as literally as like times expiring. It's one of the most electric conference championship games of the last few years that no one remembers. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I love Mike Gundy. Uh, I mean, questionable person sometimes, but overall, as a go with him, he's as, a man. As a character in the college football world, Mike Gundy is a fucking beaut. So they're going to continue to be good. He, he is the Mike Tomlin of college football, man. It's just going to continue to find ways to get to bowl games, just like Mike Tomlin always gets to the playoffs. All right. Anything else you want to add about the Big 12 before we go? No. No, I don't. A lot of expectations uh, at the top. Anything can happen in the middle and uh, – We'll see what happens with these newcomers, man. I think it, it should be pretty exciting. Uh, what what is the Big Twelve championship game? I'm gonna and who uh, wins? I'm gonna say Texas, Kansas State, uh, and Texas wins. Son of a bitch, you stole my exact line. I also have Texas, Kansas State, and Texas wins. Which means oh, Texas fine. is then I'll take Texas the other gonna, side of Kansas. <laughs> Texas, I'll take is the other side up, of Kansas. You, Kansas goes. Yeah, rock yeah, chalk Jayhawk. <laughs> I don't know about that, but. Uh, that, of course, we say that, and then Texas is going to go like seven and five, and Sark's going to get fired, and it's going to be a massive disappointment. Arch Manning transfers to Alabama. Alabama wins another five national championships because that's how it works in college football. All wow. right. Uh, that's all we got. Hope everyone has an absolutely wonderful weekend. Uh, stay safe. Enjoy yourself. Drink lots of water. It's going to be a hot one for ev- everyone, basically, just wherever you live. It's going to be fucking hot. So, uh, Stay inside. Scotty and I are going to be celebrating his birthday uh, this weekend. So everybody, make sure you That's reach right. out. Tell Scotty a big old happy birthday from uh, from the crew. We love him. We wouldn't be able to do this without him. Um, so we love you, Scotty. Happy birthday, buddy. Well, not well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we love Scotty. Uh, and yeah, so the June, June 29th, that's when Scotty's birthday is. July. Sure. June Sorry, July. Yeah. I told you my brain is appreciate it brother all right I gotta go I gotta go play softball and not hurt myself we love you guys thank you so much for listening we'll talk to you guys next week and as always take it easy everybody